welcome to Heaven Sent and Bent on TalkZone.com, a place to talk about the experiences that we call life. We'll share the sorrow and the joy that makes this earthy existence real and makes us who we are. Now, here's your host, Renee Steelman. Hello, welcome. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today on TalkZone.com. I hope that you are listening live, but if you're not, remember that you can always catch the podcast on my blog, which is www.heavenandnot.com. I will be posting this um, a few hours after it's uh, broadcast live, so you can listen to it. You can also listen live. Remember, if you download the Talk Zone app on your smartphone or your mobile device, then you can be listening while you're driving in the car or whatever it is you're doing. So um, that's really great. I have a really great guest on today, and I'll tell you why I think so. Um, number one, the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, the month of November is typically the month that people really try to remember to be thankful. And a lot of people will set challenges to post something on social media about what they're thankful for. And I think that probably the number one thing that people are most thankful for is a great relationship, either with a husband or um, a partner of some kind. And if you're, if you don't have that great relationship with a partner, uh, life can be kind of hard, maybe lonely or trying. And so my guest today is going to help with having a great relationship. And you will learn from, from my guest today tools to, you know, keep your marriage strong if, if that's if that's something that you're lacking in or even if you're single she can help you to look for that right person so i think it's going to be a very interesting hour so uh let me tell you a little bit about my guest my guest is Noreen Gonjeski and she is a um a she is licensed as an imago therapy um therapist and she has worked with couples and individuals since 1980 using cognitive behavioral therapy. And she has really dedicated herself to helping people of all ages just understand themselves and how they're thinking and how they're thinking determines their lives. And she has coached thousands of people not only to improve their moods and manage depression and anxiety, but also to improve all kinds of things. She has founded in 1997 she founded the portland relationship center and this is where she practices her imago relationship therapy and she has all kinds of resources for creating healthy and lasting relationships and she has workshops for couples and individuals helping them to learn how to build lasting and passionate relationships and she teaches money habits and all kinds of courses for adults and teens and understanding habits and attitudes about money. So she's a great resource. So she has just written a wonderful book called Rock Solid, all about relationships. And so we're going to bring Noreen on and start picking her brain and and you're going to have an hour of free therapy. So Noreen, thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me, Renee. Well, I am so excited because reading your book and looking at some of the information that you have on your website, 
I love the way that you go about talking about relationships. And in your book, you talk a little bit about the seven keys to restoring connection. Can you talk a little bit about what those are? Oh, I'd be happy to. So most of us in a relationship enter it with the best of intentions and the, a terrific amount of optimism. We have met somebody, we're in love with them, we're in the romantic phase, we're awash with love potion number nine, all those wonderful endorphins and hormones that are there to help us bond with our new love. And we have blinders on. And, of course, we have blinders on. Everybody does. Any relationship that starts with romance starts with blinders on because Mother Nature wouldn't want us to see all the flaws that we're going to see later. And we carry on. We make a commitment with one another. And when we make that commitment, all of those amazing endorphins, they turn back down to sort of their normal setting again. We're bonded. We don't need to feel them at that high level And suddenly we're with somebody who we find annoying. And we find them annoying because everybody is annoying. All people are annoying. I'm annoying. Everybody listening is annoying. And if you don't think you're annoying, you're really annoying. (laughs) That's so So we find that we're with somebody who annoys us because there isn't anybody who wouldn't annoy us in some ways. And so... Then we run into um, a lack of having the skills and the tools that we need to talk through the things that we see differently or that bother us, that frustrate us, that make us um, upset or despairing. We don't know how to talk about it in a way that helps us to feel more connected instead of feel further apart because of the conflict. And this is probably the crucial part of having a relationship that will be loving and will last a lifetime is we have to know how to talk to each other in a way that brings us connection. So that's one of the keys. We need communication that brings us a connection. Otherwise, what happens is that we have two spikes in the divorce rate, and they spell out what happens. Between five and seven years, there's a big spike in the divorce rate. And what people say is the reason they're divorcing is they can't stand how they do conflict anymore. They just can't stand the fighting, the coldness, um, the hotness, the punishment. And then we have a spike at between 10 and 15 years, and those people say we've lost our connection. We have drifted apart, probably because they may have given up on fighting and they've gotten cold and distant from each other. So mm-hmm. one of those keys is that we have got to be able to learn to use communication in the way that we used it when we were in courtship. In courtship, we talked about everything, and we were we didn't care about the differences, and we were understanding, we had empathy, we could easily validate what our partner said, and so that's one of the keys. Any questions on that so far? That is, um, that is so amazing, exactly how you define it, how you talk about the 
the how the I like what you said in your book about you know even if you're not married the honeymoon there's a honeymoon phase and it's going to go away at some point and so you have that first five to seven years where you just get frustrated because you're fighting and you didn't think you would be fighting and and you can't seem to resolve all of the conflicts and and it's a human reaction I think to probably want to uh, it's that fight or flight and so your your human instinct is to flight to run away that's so and you know you said something in the very beginning you talked about how we start out with blinders on and how that's kind of a chemical reaction do you have an opinion or have you seen with your therapy how the um do you have a pro or a con feeling about living together then if people live together they're kind of going to have those blinders taken off and what does that do for a future or a committed relationship if there if there is you know that trial period well let's just live together and see how that works what do you have a any statistics about that yes uh, I don't have statistics right on the top of my mind but I know the trend of the statistics so okay. don't hold me to the actual figures sure but, um, when people move in together you're absolutely right the chemicals go back to normal because those chemicals are really about meet, mate, and procreate. And although we may not be procreating, because we have ways to stop that now, but once we mate, Mother Nature thinks, okay, job done, moving on, good luck, you two. And one of the signals to Mother Nature, to our brain, is that we moved in together, because that's a commitment. And when we're committed, we don't need those chemicals. So... If people move in together and get engaged or married pretty quickly, within a few months, it doesn't seem to negatively impact the relationship because they moved from pre-committed to committed and they formalized the commitment. So they'll still have all the problems anybody else has, but they have a better chance of staying together and working it out because they made a formal commitment of some sort. People that move in together and live together a very long time without making a commitment, a couple of years, three years, it seems to be that those people do not make it. They have a bigger breakup rate than those of us that got married. Interesting. That's so interesting. It's interesting how... Physiologically, our bodies kind of work for how we're actually designed yes. to exist as groups. That's yes. that's so interesting. And then I love what you said about how after in the tent, oh, have resolved your ability to handle conflict. It's just you've just given up. Yes that people have drifted apart. So that is, I'm going to talk about key number one in the book to answer that. Okay. And so what when we're in courtship, our partner is our number one priority. The brain is designed to make our partner, our love interest, the priority during courtship. And our chemicals all change in our brain. And one of the chemicals that changes is that serotonin, the feel good and not obsessively think hormone neurotransmitter 
get suppressed. So we think obsessively about the person. And of course they're our priority because they're in the top of our mind awareness around the clock. Now, when we make that commitment and that serotonin goes back up where it's supposed to be and the, the hormones that um, suppressed it go back to normal, we don't think about our partner every minute. We go back to thinking about ourselves and we, we do not any longer hold our partner as the priority in our life. We don't hold that relationship as the priority. So one of the things we have to do if we want a long and fun, not a long and miserable, a long and enjoyable (laughs) relationship is that we have to make the marriage our priority. We just absolutely have to. We have to return our partner to priority status. Those people who feel like they drifted apart never return their partner or their marriage to the priority status. They just let it go way to the bottom of the list. It may have been because of very normal things, jobs, children, in-laws, aging parents, um, the ups and downs of our financial lives. All those things are, you know, not trivial things. But when we don't know how to put a close to those for the day, turn our screens off, turn our phones off, make our children stay out of our bedroom, make our children sleep in their own bed and have a bedroom. All of those those cultural phenomenons, they creep in there and we are no longer connected. And in fact, I might even be sitting on the couch on Facebook connecting with people all over the country and you're sitting there, my partner, at the end of the couch and I'm not even reaching out to you or asking you how your day was or rubbing your leg, or cozying up to you, because you are no longer my priority. So if we want our marriage to last and be a blast, we have got to return to that stage. We've got, and it will be work, and it will be an effort, and we're going to have to break a lot of bad habits. And I was just going to ask you that, So because what you're saying is that in the beginning, when you have that serotonin level and all of these hormones and things cursing through your body, it's something that you just do automatically. But at some point, you're going to have to make this, you're going to have to make this an effort that you do yourself. It's something that you have to maybe even write down. This has to become a priority and it has to become something, maybe even on a list of things to do. At the top of the list. Okay. Interesting. And we have to understand what does that even mean? What does it mean to prioritize the relationship? And, you know, what, how uh, do our own personal needs get in the way of that? You know, we committed to another person. We took them off the shelf and, or put them on the shelf rather. You know, we took them out of the dating pool, put them on the shelf and then ignored them. We have to take them off the shelf again and pay attention to them. And that starts with, you know, how do we manage the crucial moments of the day? How do we treat each other when we wake up? How do we ritualize the treatment of each other when we leave the house for the day, when we return home, before we go to bed? What are we doing with those pivotal times of the day that affect people's moods? Do I wake up and ignore you? Do I wake up 
long after you or long before you? Do If I have to get up before you, do I bring you a cup of coffee and give you a kiss or crawl back into bed for a few minutes? If we can get up at the same time, what do we do to acknowledge each other and have some special time? That's making each other a priority. Do we go to bed at the same time? How many days a week do we go to bed at the same time? Or is it more important to me to watch um, Stephen Colbert on The Late Show than it is to climb into bed with you, cuddle up, talk, have some pillow talk, kiss for a while, maybe make love, maybe just go to sleep, laying on our little life raft together, that we all need to climb into because we live in a big choppy ocean of a world. So, so ha- to- I, I love what you said about how the change in our roles, because that, that change has happened through the progression of the last 40 years, people, their roles as a married couple are not as well defined. How has that played into this loss of connection? where the roles that we have are kind of blurry? Well, the um, when people had very distinct roles, they, well, one thing is they didn't meddle in each other's roles as much. So there wasn't as much that they fought about. Now, I'm not proposing going back to old-fashioned gender roles at, mm-hmm. at all. Um, but I'm just saying the benefits and then what changed culturally. So we used to have, um, and this is pretty sound research that talks about this, when people had more defined gender roles, they had a more active sex life throughout their marriage because in those roles, men assumed that they were going to be more of the initiator. They wanted their spouse to initiate part of the time, but they didn't struggle with that role. They grew up believing that girls are going to say no and I have to keep kind of going around this way. Could I get a yes if I went here? Could I get a yes if I went here? If I looked at you this way, could I get a yes? You know, they just were raised Mm -hmm. with that and it didn't affect their self-esteem and they did it. Women, once they felt like, okay, I'm married or whatever it is that signals to me it's okay to have a sexual relationship, saw themselves as... um, more wanting to please men, more wanting to um, say yes and keep them happy at home and not thinking about other people and enjoyed sex, of course. If they were doing it well, they were actually enjoying it. But um, there was more of a dance there, more of a romantic dance. Back when gender roles were uh, more defined, again, back to the bickering, you know, men did this stuff to the house, women did this stuff inside the house, And they did not criticize each other's way of doing it. They didn't fight about it. It settled into something. Not perfect, but it settled into something. And so less to argue about. And then um, the prioritizing thing is kind of fits into the roles. It used to be that the... um, the classic or conventional kind of woman would prioritize her life as, number one priority, her husband, number two, her children, number three, her individual and work pursuits. The average man prioritized his job, his wife, and his children. So those were very 
wrongly based in roles. And as roles changed, what has happened is that men and women, number one, prioritize themselves now in their roles. Number two, prioritize their children. And number three, prioritize their marriage. That's so true. And I, I've seen that. I've seen, I'm old, I'm old enough to see that progression. I've seen that, that difference, uh, throughout the last, I would say, 40 years as I've watched, um, schools require more parental involvement in their children's activities and things like that. And then also people, other people that are respected and admired in the world giving people advice that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And if right. you can't help other people, if you're not happy. And so there's been this whole turn to you need to make yourself the priority because if you're not happy and if you're not doing what you want to do, you won't be able to have a, a good relationship or you won't be able to be a good mother. And I've seen that and it's been interesting to see the involvement and, and the differences in how the millennial generation, uh, goes about their, um, activities. And those of us, you know, they're a little bit older. We kind of sit back and go, huh, I, I would have never done that when I was your age, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yes. yes. Right. And so another thing, uh, well, go ahead. You were going to ask me something. No, I will. I was going to ask how you balance, because that is a, such a, a hard thing to balance autonomy. I'm, I am still a person with making your pers- your spouse or your, your partner the priority in your life, especially if you feel as though, um, Somewhat, you know, if you have a partner that might take advantage of that, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you're doing everything for them and they're like, great. Everything in your life should be about me, you know? So that's a difficult priority. That's a, a, a difficult balancing act. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the key though. If we're both making our marriage the priority, we are the marriage. That's the marriage is you and me. And I'm looking out for you and you're looking out for me. And I see that you are feeling exhausted from things. And I'm going to say to you, Renee, sweetie, you need a massage. Let's get you a massage. How can we make that work for you? Let's get you a day off. You know, how about if you see if your sister wants to go to the beach again? You felt so renewed when you went to the beach with her. Because I'm looking out for you. You are my priority. It doesn't mean that we are connected at the hip. And you're right. looking out for me. You're saying, oh, my gosh, Noreen, you haven't had a haircut. You know, is that because you're busy, sweetie? Can we get, you know, let me take something off your plate. Let's get you that's, over there. Get you grown. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Then you both have to be on board for making each other the priority. It can't just yes. be one-sided. You know, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples, and it is extremely rare that I see a couple that has any, you know, that where one of the partners doesn't really want to please the other one, regardless of their age and their demographic, like millennials, Gen Xs, baby boomers, Mm -hmm. um, or the, you know, the great generation. We do want to please our partners. In fact, 
I think it leads to depression and divorce if we know we're not being a good partner. And I'm sure you've had that feeling. I'm sure your audience has had that feeling where you're just thinking, oh, my God, I've really been falling down on the job. I haven't even asked this guy how, or, the, you know, my female partner, my wife here, I haven't even asked them how their week has been or how work went. I'm so preoccupied. Right. And You're so you just, right. Yeah, and then you just feel so bad and guilty. And from that bad place, you might start building a case about, well, they never do this and this and this for me because you don't want to feel bad. Or you think, I'm just terrible at relationship. I should just be single. I won't get yeah. that I should just be single. I'm terrible at relationship, and I've ruined this, and I can't fix it. Or exactly. you feel guilty, and then you avoid them even more because you think if you go and talk to them, they're going to tell you, well, yeah, I'll tell you how I am, lonely yeah. and miserable. You know, so that's right. kind of exit the relationship by staying busy and staying on our screens and, you know, communicating with strangers. So true. And and that brings us to the point of building a resilient relationship. Talk about what that means to have a resilient relationship. Well, I love the word resilient, first of all. You, you know, it's a, certainly a buzzword in, the, um, in the, the field of therapy and sociology and science. But, you know, resilience is the... Um, that when something, in this case a relationship, is tested and stretched and pressured, that it returns to its original wholeness. That's what resilience is. We can return to our original wholeness. And when we have prioritized our relationship, our marriage, and when we have... um, made sure that we're making lots and lots of deposits into our relationship savings account, it gives us resilience. It is, you know, the, the, the bank account is full. And so if we have a fight or if I have to take a course for the next four months and we're going to have minimal time together or our child is sick, that we have so much in the bank account because we've made so many deposits of caring behaviors and romantic gestures and dates and affection and sex and, and sitting down and having a healthy dialogue with each other that we're going to be fine when that course is over. We're going to be fine when our child is well again or isn't and continues to be sick. We're going to be fine. We're going to be able to bring it back to its original wholeness. And nothing pulls, tests, or, you know, even batters people so much as, a, you know, a personal relationship, an intimate relationship. You know? It, that's so true. Yeah. It, and, and that's so true. And talk talk about the kind of bad habits that, that are the result of 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 letting our relationship slide and 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 how we maybe subconsciously start picking up these little habits a subconscious defense mechanism um but talk about what some of those bad habits are that we might not even recognize that we're doing mhm 
Yes. So those bad habits kind of exist in just about every part of our life and what we spend our day, our week, our month, our year doing. And so going back to when we begin to drift apart, when we begin to drift apart, we started to feel very despondent and despairing about our relationship. So one set of bad habits is the things that humans do when they feel despondent and despairing. They overeat, they stop exercising, they drink too much, they watch too much television, they use, they have too much screen time, they pull into themselves and shut down. All those habits shut me down and shut you out because if I'm shut down, I'm not letting you in. So the, first of all, there's that whole cluster of things that we do when we feel our worst. Then, in terms of, you know, maybe not everybody gets depressed about that, but that, that happens in a lot of relationships. And one thing I want to say about that is that there is such a thing as relationship depression. And I cannot tell you the number of times that I've had a couple come in and say, well, you know, you may not even want to work with us because we saw a counselor one time a month ago and he or she said, you know, you two should just break up. From the story you're telling me, I think you're ready to let go and break up. I, of course, am just going crazy inside because that marriage is depressed. And if a depressed individual had come in to see that other counselor, that counselor wouldn't say, well, you know, I really suggest you go home and kill yourself. Yeah. Probably what you need to do. But freely, go home and kill your marriage. Just go kill it. Who cares what... All the family that loves you and the children and the financial burden, just go home and kill it. So right. is such thing as relationship depression, and then people are taking very bad self-care, and, of course, they don't give each other anything. But, you know, there's also the cases where it doesn't have anything to do with relationship depression. It has to do with laziness, perhaps. It has to do with resentments and frustrations. But what people... Um, start doing is a little bit different than what they stop doing. And the stop doing is the crucial stuff. People stop talking. People stop giving each other gifts. People stop appreciating the other one out loud and for everything and saying, wow, you emptied the dishwasher. Cool, thanks. For the small things and the big things of, oh, my gosh, you brought, you know, you thought of me when you were um, at Seaside and you brought me back a pair of earrings. That's so sweet. Thank you for that. We don't give each other appreciation. We take away and withhold acceptance of the other. We start fighting and telling the other one that they're doing everything wrong because they're not doing it the way we prefer. We stop listening to each other and we retreat into a zillion activities television, computers, social media, our children. We retreat into our children. We stop asking our partner what they think about what we should do this weekend and go ahead and plan. Sure, I'll babysit your kids or sure, we'll join you for dinner or sure, I'll go on girls weekend or guys weekend without even consulting. So we begin to just show the other one all of these other things I do are more important to me than you. 
We go to bed and don't say good night. We stay up outrageous amounts of time while the other one goes to bed and don't say to them good night or come in and, you know, cuddle with them for 30 minutes and get back up again and watch our show if it's all that important. And we really begin to hold withhold those relationship savings account deposits. We're, we need to make deposits every single day, every single day. And if if we're not doing that, then either we're resentful or lazy. You know, this is so amazing. I this is like you said, having you know read a lot of other books about relationships and therapy and things like that. I don't think I've ever even heard of what you're talking about. It's so refreshing to hear. But I have a question, and I'm wondering if it doesn't go back to what you said earlier about um, not having defined. Uh, where our roles are in the marriage and like you say not I'm not trying to take it back to you know 1930 but but not having a formalized view of what your role is because when you talk and I, my girlfriend and I have talked about this a lot and I and I've and I've heard you know and you've said it I've heard other people say it um you know let's say your husband says he, he's going to help you make the bed so he makes the bed but the sheets are crooked and the pillows are topsy-turvy and the it's not really smoothed out straight and you're and you're just cringing because that's not how you would make the bed but you're supposed to say to your oh thank you honey i really appreciate you making the bed but in your mind you're thinking and please leave so that i can remake the bed the way i want it to be made and so you know we my girlfriend and i have laughed about this how we how we sometimes get so confused when we should give compliments or when the responsibility of the person to do the job right, the you know, it's like, like we were talking the other day, and I said, isn't it funny how people will say, you know, if your husband does the dishes or if your husband makes the bed, you should say thank you, thank you for doing the dishes or thank you for making the bed, um, even if it wasn't done right. And then people say, well, what's right, you know, your way or his way? And it's like, well, if I went to his office and I said, you know, let me redo all your files, and I'm going to uh, redo this. Uh, drawing that you just did and and you and they had to sit back and go oh thank you even though it isn't done right i've got to have to redo this that wouldn't be okay so if your role as a homemaker is to make the bed have it done this and that and it's not done correctly is it why isn't it okay to say you have to smooth the bed sheet you have to smooth the blanket you have to put this pillow here and put that there and for for them for them to say oh okay i see how you would like it done and then you would say Thank you so much for doing it. You know what I'm saying? How do you resolve that? Well, if the, if it's important to your partner to make the bed, if that's the chore that they chose, or if you ask them to make the bed, mm-hmm. it, I think if you said to a partner, could I show you the way that I like the bed to be made, Is that would you still make it if I showed you? Then that's perfectly fine. Ah. And are particular about how something is done, it probably needs to go on our list. You know, the majority of homes have two working spouses now. Right, right. Dividing up the chores. You know, I have for years, I mean, my husband and I met in the 70s. We've been married 35 years next week, but together longer than that. And... We were, we met in the height of the feminist movement and I'd taken courses on how to, um, 
rebuild engines, you know, ah. college for women's guide to the internal combustion engine, the right. cars and whatever. And I remember early on, I went and did a brake job on our car. I don't ever want to do anything like that again, as long as I can <laughs> <need> it. <laughs> and, you know, my husband cooks a bunch of the time and he's always willing to do that. And he, you know, he doesn't even offer to make the bed. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Um, no, well, no, and I, I like what you said about that, though, where it where it has to be, you know, you can't have that everything. You can't have the bed and the dishes and the right. dusting and the bathing the children. Everything can't be. But pick the one thing that is really, really important to you. And then if that if your partner says, well, I'm not going to do that, then that would be a sign that maybe you have something you need to work on. Yeah. So there's yeah. so there's a give and a take. I, I understand that. I think that's really important to know that. This is yeah. really important to me that this bed look this way. And I don't care how you do the dishes, but this is the one thing that I appreciate. I would appreciate it if you would do this correctly. Right. I love that. Or that's very good. Put it on your own to-do list. That, that's one of my responsibilities. I like the bed to look just so, so I'm going to make the bed. And maybe we are going to find out that somebody needs to sleep in the guest room tonight and you're going to change the sheets and I... Not to offend you, sweetie, but I'll probably go in there and take a look at it. And But I appreciate you doing it. And I'm going to take ownership for my being such a particular person when it comes to the bed. You're not wrong for not knowing how to do it to my standards. I take ownership for my own standards. And if And I take ownership if I go back and fix it, you please don't be offended. Don't That's be offended right. if I go back and straighten that pillow out. And I totally appreciate that you did it. Now, thinking if you really think about this for a minute, I've, I, like you, have, I'm older and I've seen all kinds of changes in the culture and in marriage. And men of my age group, I'm in my 60s, and men of my age group, most of them didn't learn to do household things. And they may not have even made their bed unless they were in the military. And they learned right. to make And most uh, of right. accept military standards if somebody makes the bed because it's pretty smooth. Right. Um, the pillows might not be just so, but it's going to be smooth. And so, first of all, why would I think they're going to arrive at marriage knowing how to do things the way I learned to do them? Let's talk about it without blaming or shaming or criticizing. Let's take ownership for I have a preference. There is no right and wrong way to make a bed. Right and wrong is based on facts, and facts can be replicated in a laboratory setting. The rest of it are opinions and our preferences. And so, so that's one part of it. Then you fast forward to millennial kids, and roles have changed, but both parents worked and nobody taught them to do anything. (laughs) Nobody was there. Now, my kids are millennials, but we had a policy in our house that nobody was leaving this house until they knew how to clean the entire house, make a menu, shop for groceries, and cook the meals, balance their checking account, drive a stick shift in case of an emergency, and... 
all we had all these things and it was just very clear and they had chores and they cleaned the whole house and we taught them patiently every single way to clean something without criticizing them or shaming them we taught them to do everything and we figured that was our job as parents they in order to be um, capable adults, they needed to know how to do those things. But I work with many, many millennial women. No one ever taught them to cook anything, and they weren't interested. Right. In, and that we live in a vibrant restaurant culture, and they frequent those vibrant restaurants regularly. Yes, yes, nobody, that's so many, true. Yeah, and men didn't so get true. taught to fix anything, and now there's no home ec and no wood shop, and there's no... You know, auto mechanics. You are we were so right. Day, yeah. You had to learn yeah. those skills. You know, you and yeah. I probably left high school knowing how to sew and can food. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. I learned how to sew from my home ec class. And a lot of my cooking, I, you know, every time I lay that measuring cup on the counter and bend down to see if it's at one cup, I exactly. flash back to my home ec class. That's right. You're looking to see if the meniscus is in the right place. Right, so right. True measurement, and they taught us that in home ec. So working parents did not have the time to teach their kids to do those life skills. They had time to get them to soccer, make sure their homework was made, get them to the next sport, get them, you know, go to go to parent night, but they did not have the time to teach them those skills. So... Fast forward to millennials, and we have a whole new um, set of expectations, role expectations. So one great dialogue for couples to do, I've had couples do this in my office a bunch, is just to take turns talking about what I see my role to be in this relationship. And their partner just mirrors them and asks them, okay, is there more about that? Can you tell me more about what you see about your role? And then switch, and the partner do it. And then the next piece be what I see your role to be in our relationship, how I see your role. And really get all that stuff on the table. And then we may, at the end of that session, we know, oh, there's a few things here you don't see eye to eye on. Let's keep talking about them. That's amazing. I, I, I That is so important, and you are so right that those are simple things that, you know, you hear the phrase, I'm not a mind reader. If you don't tell me, I can't know these things. You hear that all the time, but probably never before has it been more important that you verbalize what your expectations are going into a relationship. And like you say, you might have a, a, the woman might be the full-time breadwinner and the man might be home with the kids and cooking. And it's a different world. And we, we've got to learn how to communicate to, to make everything work. That is so interesting. And what we don't, nobody ever taught us. I mean, they didn't teach millennials to cook, let alone teach them how to have a, great relationship, you know, not that we learned to do that as boomers either, but um, what nobody ever teaches us and we've got to learn if we want to have a lasting, loving relationship is that every issue is about a need that is unmet. I'm upset because one of my needs is is not being met. And I 
And it's my issue. I have to own it. It's not an issue you're causing in me. You're not my twin. You can't mind read. And you, I did not hire you to be my personal assistant. <laughs> I have to tell you what I need. And I have to express it as a need, not a complaint, not a criticism of you, not a blame of you. I don't, I like the bed to be a certain way. I wonder what that's about. Let me think about what is the need there. The need for me is to be able to be proud of myself if somebody walks through my house. That might sound crazy. Who is going to walk through my house today? Well, I'm right. not there. My house isn't on the market. But I'm, that just is a quirky need of mine. It's a pride thing. And maybe our house was messy when I was a kid. Or maybe we were poor, but we were proud and everything looked nice. And so that's my need. It's not your job to know that. And now let's talk about a win-win solution in which we both get our needs met. Because maybe you need to feel respected and not chewed out when you make the bed wrong. Right, right. Your needs met. So let's figure that out. And we may figure it out that we're going to make the bed and take pictures. (laughs) Um, Or we may figure it out that I'm going to make the bed because really that's my need and that's my thing and it doesn't take that long. If that's on my chore list, that's a quick one. Right. And you're happy to wash the sheets. Every time I take a strip and put fresh ones on, you just say household laundry, that's my job, babe. Let's let's take it I love that compromise. I'll make the bed, but you wash and dry the the linens. I love that. That's perfect. And if... about it oh, without blaming and shaming and criticizing and we really hurt each other and we hurt we own this is my issue it's not a universal issue some people don't even sleep in beds it's not a universal issue it's my issue and i have to own it not make you wrong for this people exactly. have requirements in relationships they have needs and they have wants your single people listening should become clear on what it is they require from a relationship. Requirements are deal breakers. I will not stay in this relationship or any relationship if these things aren't met. And maybe they're things like sobriety or um, fidelity, honesty, those kinds of things. We both, right. uh, both work hard for living. Our needs are met flexibly. They're important, but we don't need to break up over them. And there's many ways to meet them usually. That's what is important to know. Not, you know, if I can't stand it that you are home later than you say you'll be, there's a need in there, a need for security, a need for being important in your life. And there's probably multiple ways you can meet that need of mine if I could explain it to you as a need. Exactly. And then want to sort of the frosting on the cake. I want to go to Europe in a couple of years. But I, in fact, could go to Europe with my sister if you didn't want to go. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, that brings me to my next question, which is, the myth about romantic relationship relationships and compatibility. I love how you addressed that myth that 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 we don't have anything in common. We our hobbies are totally different, our parenting styles are totally different. 
Talk about that because I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. So when we were dating, we were darn compatible enough. Yeah. So that's number one. Nobody marries somebody that they've dated and felt utterly incompatible with. And the problem isn't a lack of compatibility. It's a lack of companionability. If we were good companions, if we treated each other well, if we met each other's sexual needs, if we made each other a priority, if we um, follow through on what we say we will do, if we're responsible to each other, if we have good communication, that's being a good companion. And then good companions figure out fun things to do and in, and join the other one in some of the things that they would like to do. Because we did that when we were dating, when we were drinking right. that love potion number nine every morning. Right, right. How many times did, uh, you know, did you go to some activity, go bowling or something, and in the back of your head you're thinking, I hate bowling, but I will do anything to be with this person. Exactly. Exactly. And if we remained good companions in all those ways that I described, if we remained good companions, if our partner says, oh, let's go bowling, you think, oh, heck, I can have a good time bowling. I can show up and be in a good mood and and go. I love you. I think you're cute. I want to please you. You do the same thing with me. You know, I want to go to Antique Grow and and go shopping and look for some cute vintage linens. And that's not so much what you're interested in, but you think – you're cute, and I love you. And sure, can we have lunch while we're there? And it's a beautiful day. That's... Maybe we'll stop here and there. Because we're so close, and we want each other to be happy, and we want to make each other's dreams come true. Right, and right. So it's nobody really gets a divorce about incompatibility. That's not true. Millennials do. And millennials... <laughs> I'm sorry, and I'm not trying to diss the millennials because we like the millennials and we're adopting a lot of their viewpoints because now my 65-year-olds have this viewpoint I'm about to say, which is that my whims, my wishes, and my wants are more important to me than you are. Right. And if you have that attitude about relationship, you will break up because you're not compatible. I want to live in Alaska. You want you don't. So okay. Right. Well, I'm leaving then because living right. in Alaska is more important to me than you are. And so and true. It's more important than keeping our family together. Exactly. Okay. So I'm saying living in Alaska is more important than my children. Right. Right. I owe them an intact family. And um, so. This compatibility thing, the majority of us don't break up over being incompatible. We break up because we're not good companions and we're not taking care of each other. And we're not, you know, making each other that priority. Exactly. Well, Noreen, this has been, we could go on and talk for, I, I could, I could talk with you for the rest of the whole day. We should be sitting in a restaurant somewhere because you, you, I just love exactly the methods and, and the mindset that you have when you're talking about 
making marriage the priority and, 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 and looking for things that you can do to repair. And I love the reference that you made to resiliency because that is what it's all about. Having things snap back into position, even if they've been stretched, even if they've been pulled, the ability to have things go back to the way they were and then have a, a feeling of confidence that it can go back to that. I think that's the biggest thing. So tell everyone how they can find out, how they could reach you, how they can get a hold of you, how, and all the ways that they can get more information from you. Okay. Well, as you said, I have a business called Portland Relationship Center, and I have a website that has a lot of resources on it. Um, free resources, and that, you know, I have blogs that I post every week. There's videos from when I've been on AM Northwest and other times, and it, there is a lot there. And if, you know, monthly we, we put out a newsletter, and it really has something useful in it. It's a tip. It's an encouragement. This month, talk about this. So maybe, you know, it's before the holidays. Here's three things to talk about before the holidays are upon us sort of thing. So it's very useful. And you can go to our uh, website, www.portlandrelationshipcenter.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can contact me. You can watch all of those free things. If you sign up for the newsletter, it gives you a... um, password to get into the archives of things. Many things are right there, all of the blogs, all of the videos, but there are some other things in the archives there of the free resources. Um, People can buy my book, our book, because I wrote it with my partner, uh, business partner, Tim Higdon, who is over at Bend Marriage um, Counseling. And it's called Rock Solid Relationship, Seven Keys to Restore Your Connection and Make Your Love Last. Now, on, and it's on Amazon.com and it's on our website. On our website, it's only $4.95 to download it. It's a very inexpensive resource to put it on your computer or your iPad or whatever. On Amazon, if you want to buy it in hard copy, the, um, you have to be careful you're getting the right one because after we put ours up, two more people named their book almost an identical thing. Ah. Oh. Isn't that something that apparently is happening now? It's, it's got a certain kind of hacking name. But anyway, watch for Noreen and Tim. If it's Noreen and Tim, okay. you've got the right book. Um, okay. Well, that is just excellent, Noreen. Thank you so much. Noreen Goncheski, sorry. She is a certified Imago relationship therapist, and I have so enjoyed talking with you today. And please, everyone, look up her website. Get in touch with Noreen if you're having any kind of relationship problems. Thank you very much, Renee. All right. Thanks, Noreen. Bye-bye. And we will talk again next week.